ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 50, which is kind of amazing. Here we are, 50 episodes in, halfway to 100, but 100% of the way to 50, which also means you get new theme music, so I hope you enjoy. Hey, this episode is really fun. I recorded it this morning, and I'm putting it up right now, which I very rarely do, but the timing was right. So I hope you really enjoy this one with Ruth Jo Simons. She is a writer, a painter, businesswoman. She manages uh, social media channels called Grace Laced and produces a bunch of incredible giftware and, and items that uh, are just, it's just stunning, just gorgeous, inspirational art. Uh, so we had a conversation all about art and beauty and truth and grace and love. We touched on actually a ton of different things in this interview. I think there's something in here for just about everybody, but especially if you are in that stage of life where you are waiting for your children to grow up a little bit so you can pursue the things you feel like God's really called you to, and then you feel guilty for thinking that way, there is some hope in here for you. Also, Ruth's brand new book, Beholding and Becoming, The Art of Everyday Worship, comes out in a few days and I have got a copy to give away. So listen through this interview and I will tell you the giveaway instructions. You can also check out the show notes for those instructions. And here we go. So, uh... This book is amazing. All of you who are listening can't see it, but I'm holding it up to the camera and Ruth can see it. Of course, she's already seen it <laughs> countless times because she it's hers. But Ruth, I didn't know you. I'd never heard of you. I get this thing come through from the publicity people and I get I get a lot. Right. And so I'm always choosing. Do, it's like triage for me. Do I engage <laughs> with this one or not? And I didn't know you. And at first glance, I was like, oh, yeah, this looks very pretty and sort of Anne Voskampy and my mother would mm-hmm. probably love it. But then they sent it to me. They sent me the physical copy anyway. I don't remember, actually, if I had engaged, if I'd said I'd do it or not. And oh, it I'm arrived. I'm so glad they sent it to you. <laughs> yes. Well, exactly. <laughs> Michaela, I know you're listening. Uh, so this Book arrives, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Beholding and Becoming, we'll talk about a bunch of things, but this book literally took my breath away when I took it out of the package. That's so kind, Jonathan. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm thankful to you. (laughs) I feel like that's backwards. Um, So, I, yeah, I get that for those of you listening, probably sounds like I can't even think of what to say right now, which is partly true because I'm looking at it again. I should just put it away because then I'll be able to say things. Okay, so if you have ever been to a cathedral or some kind of beautiful, either even a painting, a work of art, something that's just been sort of offered up as a feast for the senses as well as like an act of worship to God, that's what I feel like as I flip through this new book from Ruth. Hmm. Uh, so let me just unequivocally say, I've unequivocally, if I can actually pronounce that word, <laughs> thank you. This is a gift. Thank you. What an honor. Thank you, Jonathan. That um, I I could not receive a higher commendation than to know that um, the beauty leads you to the throne. So thank you so much for receiving it that way. Well, that's exactly what happens. It leads me to the throne. I love the way you 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 sum that up. Uh, I've been reading through it, and and you know, it's 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 hard to sum up, really. I mean, I don't know how you sum it up. It's it's got aspects of devotional, but it's mm-hmm. bigger than that. It's got aspects of Christian living, but it's also like this. 
I, I mean, almost meditative invitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good way to put it. I think I just, um, I'm kind of in the business of um, encouraging believers not to choose between beauty and truth. I think it's um, a goofy thing when we think that we're going to open this hardcore theology book and we're going to sit there and really wrestle with true, solid doctrines and big, big ideas about who God is. And it's got to be just text and maybe a little dry and a little boring. And then we go, well, now I really want to experience beauty. And we go somewhere else and it doesn't really interact with those truths that we're wrestling with through the word of God. And so I'm kind of here to say, well, let's, let's, um, let's not choose between those two things. We can have both at the same time. And so, um, no, I don't, I didn't write a book that was very well defined. It's not a simple, you don't leave it next to, um, you know, you don't, it's not a five minute for the soul, quick little thing. Um, they're not really easily digestible devotions or quick thoughts. Um, but neither is it a chapter book that you have to sit down and necessarily read, you know, from cover to cover all at one time. It is a meditative in, invitation. And ultimately, um, both in words and in art, my desire is to bring the reader along that the lens would change by the end of the book and that we would see God differently and see our circumstances differently as we go through the book. Mm, yes. Amen. I believe that will happen for people. I try to, before my interviews, I sort of usually spend 10 or 15 minutes just sort of centering myself and just, I have my own mm-hmm. meditative practice. And so sure. I, I grabbed your book and I just took some time looking at through some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love what you just said there about truth and was it truth and beauty or truth? Yeah, and art? truth. No, truth and beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I could not agree more. And I feel like that, I, I feel like Christians are just scratching the surface of this today, but, but in, in a weird way, like if you look at, I meant mentioned cathedrals, like I feel mm-hmm. like once upon a time there was a movement within the church, especially mm-hmm. within the Catholic church that mm-hmm. valued you know, mm-hmm. this expressive quality of truth, mm-hmm. that truth could be beheld and found lovely. Right. And that doesn't have to just mean words, like you said. Uh, you know, the Jonathan, the thing I think is just that art's always had a place in history, and sometimes it's crossed over and intersected with people of faith. But I think what happens is we're a vain people, and mm-hmm. we have a tendency, even as creatives, even though we are created as image bearers, we ultimately, in our sinfulness, without having the redemptive, like, transformation happen in our own lives, we kind of live for ourselves and we kind of want to boost our own kingdoms. And rather than remembering that we're image bearers of a God to that is worthy of glory, we kind of start wanting to glorify ourselves. And so over time, I think art just ends up becoming very self-focused. Mm-hmm. It becomes very um, self-centered or um, self-searching. And there's a lot of self involved to the point where I think as believers, there was just like kind of a season, um, decades of rejection of saying, mm-hmm. you know, as believers, if we're serious about the word of God, we're not going to fluff it up with a bunch of artsy fartsy stuff. You know, we're going to, we're going to get really deep down into the hermeneutic, which I'm all for that. But at the same time, I think we're missing the, the fundamentally, the way God reveals himself every day through the word of God, through the word. Yes. But he kind of, wakes us up every day with a sunrise, doesn't he? He Doesn't he mm-hmm. close out every day with stars all over the sky? If that's not a work of beauty, if he's not trying to grab our attention with something that dazzles our eyes, then 
I think we've misunderstood who he is. He's always tried to pursue our hearts with things that we can experience, touch, feel, smell, experience that he is a good God, not just through scrolls and words on a page, but through what he is coming and, and pursuing us with every single day. And so it's interesting. If you looked at the um, intro of the book, I talk a little bit. I mean, I, I share my heart about why it's called the art of everyday worship, but that we don't really get to choose whether we're worshipers or not. We all are. just depends on whether you're going to worship God or you're going to worship yourself kind of thing. But um, the other part of it was that, you know, there's a little bit of a trend in, you know, whether you're a listener here right now is really into art or not, but I'll just geek out for a second. You know, there's a lot of pattern going on. So for your female listeners or your design oriented listeners, you'll, you probably have already noticed that people are back into wallpaper. I mean, wallpaper is all over the place and people are really into it. And, um, a lot of people will attribute wallpaper design back to the, um, late 19th century with William Morris. And we see some of that stuff. Well, not only what is it a little trendy and pretty and just kind of a resurgence of that, but when you look at the the art history, and I'm no crazy art history buff, but I'll just say, you know, for for centuries there there were there were there was beautiful art on painted on the Sistine Chapel or in great places of worship, and in the secular world, it kind of became a thing where people said, well, what about my silverware? What about my coffee table? What about the everyday objects in my life that I have to live with? Do those not deserve an elevation? Is sure. is my Some everyday dignity. life not beautiful? And so in some ways I took that that paradigm, that that um that experience that led to the art nouveau, art deco movement, which was not based on glorifying God, but I took that idea and put it as the visual basis of beholding and becoming the art of everyday worship, my book, because I said, yeah, in the same way, worship is not just for Sundays and it's not just for the grand moments that we have, you know, hearing the Lord speak to us while we're in a beautiful sanctuary. No, it's, it's really while you're doing the everyday things that he's called you to do, faithfully stepping into obedience right where you are. And so every page of this book is a tribute to the small, the ordinary, the very nuanced little details of things that we, that pass us by throughout the day. Um, I'm, I'm asking us to take a look a little bit longer at what God's doing there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that. And something like, okay, the patterns and the repetition, even, even that alone has a meditative quality to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you're memorizing scripture or meditating on a verse, you know, there's repetition, there's Absolutely. A, a rhythm that you enter into. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my my Catholic listeners would be like, "Yes, we understand. You're just talking about normal spirituality." But my, <laughs> my evangelical friends would be like, "Ooh, well, maybe." Uh, do you get pushback at all? Like, do, do do ever people ever be like, "Well, you know, I'm glad Ruth that you painted a scripture because that's what makes it sacred." <laughs> well, you know, I, I I try really hard in my life not to separate sacred mm-hmm. and secular. Yeah. Really, you know, even as we, you know, my husband taught me a lot about that because he's such an education minded person, and he really said. I really think education for our boys is going to be primarily through discipleship mm-hmm. and that they're, they're, they're interconnected, that it's not that we send them to school and that currently we are full-time homeschoolers, but you know, the idea wasn't that we're going to send them to school, private, Christian, whatever it is, whatever education we chose, that was not going to be the primary way, way they were going to learn all about the things, you know, that they have to learn to live. And then at church is where they're going to learn all the things they need to be right with God. No, it's 
it's all mingled together. Mm. Everything there is to learn about the world was given to us through the creator in the first place. And when you see the connection there and stop separating the sacred and the secular, then, um, I don't know. I think then you really realize uh, that God's pursuit of us isn't some formulaic thing. It's really a relationship. And so for me, when I think about it, I don't over-spiritualize. Um, I don't feel like as I'm painting, angels are descending upon me, nothing like that. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, it's possible that somebody feels a lot more connected in their art form, but for me, it really is just a vehicle. Um, I didn't work super, super hard to have this talent, this gifting, my hands being able to see something and draw it and paint it. So into that likeness, that really is pretty much a God given gift that I've honed a little bit more over time. But, um, you know, I, I can only say, if he's given me that gift, it could have been music, it could have been anything else, but he gave me that gift. So I'm just giving it back to him as a conduit, a vehicle to deliver the ultimate message. And that's just that God created you for a purpose on purpose. And so that's, that's the reason for the art. It's really not so that the art can be the final thing. The art is really just more, more so just an adornment tour for us to be able to see the gospel more clearly. Mm, yeah. Did you, did art school, challenge your natural gifting? I have some friends who, who are naturally really expressive. They went to art school and, and they felt <laughs> like it took all the love of it away from them. But well, I also really value stewarding the gifts you've been given, right? Like, yeah. So what did that I'll be honest. Be? I mean, I started off a biochem major because I'm Chinese and that's <laughs> like I had the right thing to do. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I went to UC Berkeley my first year and um, was a biochem major. And so, no, um, I, I, when I went and studied art, um, I, I honestly don't think the latter part of my college career and graduating with an art degree, I don't think it prepared me for anything I'm doing right now. So it did not stifle me, but it also didn't grow me in any way. <laughs> it was a little bit of just a um, strange season where I'm not quite sure what the Lord was doing in my life at that time. I personally was probably wandering a little bit, but um, I look back now and I think um, he doesn't waste any part of it, right? Mm -hmm. But even though I'm sitting there going, well, I'm not really sure exactly what I learned in that season because everything I'm doing right now came through actually um, raising kids, not painting regularly for a whole decade and a half, um, counseling people after the little ones went to bed with my husband who's min who was in full-time ministry. A lot of the art that I'm producing right now came out of non-artistic expression days, meaning it's not enough just to hone a skill or a craft. You have to hone a heart. And the best work that you can create usually comes out of the overflow of a heart, not just more skills acquired. And so honestly, I, I would say when you look at that book, I think it's just kind of a miracle and a beautiful thing that the Lord saw fit to throw all this ability in one page together in one book and volume. But I didn't spend a lot of time honing the art that you're seeing there, I, I think there's been more time um, developing. Honing your, honing your heart yeah. rather than yeah, honing absolutely. your art. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's totally, like my best writing say, tends to come after a period of just kind of like feeling like I have no purpose and just like raising my kids and feeling like, ugh, all the things that I love to do for me are gone. And it's like I've gone to the cross again. Right. And, and it's like, is that part of the journey maybe for all of us? Like, 
I, I know so many moms and, and like fewer fathers just because it's still less common, but so many moms are like, God gave me all these passions and dreams, but I'm Absolutely. mostly wiping butts. Yes. And yes. That was 15 years of my life. Right. And you think it's wasted because you're not spending five year, five hours a day sitting there getting good at this and creating a platform to showcase all the things that you're doing. And we think that we need to keep on working really hard at being the best at that one thing that we feel like we're good at. And I'm kind of saying, I actually see in my life, the testimony that God put first, he put on display things that I thought that I wasn't so good at because he, because that really is his strength in through my weakness. It's him on display. It's me saying all credit goes to him because I'm, I'm a weak mom. I am not how did he give me six boys? Oh my goodness. Like how in the world am I going to parent six children um, and six boys at that? And so ultimately I think that my surrender in that decade and a half where nobody really saw me paint, nobody really knew that I had this gifting or this natural ability, all the writing I did wasn't out there trying to go viral or make money or create a big, huge platform. It was really just a discipline of my own heart working through my tagline at the time when Grace Lace first started was discovering grace in the everyday. Mm-hmm. And I'm still about that, but it ultimately it was really just finding grace. Like where does this intersect? How does the gospel actually intersect with my daily life? And so once you work through the things that are really about inside, like when you're working on the heart issues, then your hands actually get freed up to do what they're made to do. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel you and I, as writers, if we feel like we've got writer's block. Honestly, I don't think it helps to sit down and just type out another 5,000 words and hope that it comes out better and better (laughs) as we go and, and, and strive really hard to construct a beautiful sentence, right? You can try and try and that sentence will sound really stuffy and like you're trying too hard. It's lipstick on a pig. And really instead, if I put it down and surrender and say, Lord, um, until I, my heart gets filled up, I don't really have anything good to say because honestly, I haven't been filled up by you and I'm just trying to eke out something to produce something and that's not what you deserve. And so then I go on a walk and then I talk to him and then I go back to the word and then I say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry that I thought that I had anything good to say without going to you first. That's when the breakthrough happens. Yeah. Amen. Okay. I want to drill back down on one thing there. Let's just, but first, let me clarify one assumption that I would, that I have made about you that I would like you to clarify. Uh, based on what you're doing on social media and what you're saying, I'm assuming that your business is successful, correct? Hopefully. It is. Good. I think it really is. Yeah. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen listening, uh, Ruth said, you know, a decade and a half. That's really, really easy and fast to say. (laughs) It is. But let's drill down, okay? A decade and a half is 15 years, Mm -hmm. you know, which is 365 days, depending Mm -hmm. on leap years. That's that's over 5,000 days. I'm so glad you're doing the math for me. Yeah, nobody's ever done it this way. But thanks for for lingering on this. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home dad at present, and so Mm -hmm. I get it. My kids are... 10, 9, and 6. And it's been the summer, so, you know, we're yes. just at home. Yep. And I, yes, that's true. I, if I was to say on an average day, how many times I, sp- I end up in those moments 
when I'm maybe doing the dishes or cleaning up something that I swear is not, shouldn't be my responsibility to clean up. Right. <laughs> and, and I lose sight of the grace and I lose sight of the gentleness. And I go, really, God? Really? Here? Right now? Like, I'm going to say, maybe that happens three times a day. Or maybe there's three moments a day where I start to go, is this what I was created for? Is this Absolutely. what is this the fullness? So that's it's times that by another another three, because there's three of those a day. So that's over sixteen thousand individual moments of quiet hopelessness mm-hmm. within which God is producing exactly the kind of heart who one day smiles and says, yes, my business is successful. My children are growing up in the ways of God. My marriage is not the complete disaster it once was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Becoming does not happen overnight. And that's why I had to have the word becoming on the and the title of this book, because I think we're so obsessed with becoming. And let me just back up and what you just described, that huge number that you just gave for the Mom, the young mom or the young dad right this minute for the millennials, for the, for all those who um, have grown up with social media completely, that's also that many numbers, uh, ha- that many times a day that if you choose to look at your phone instead, you see how somebody else is living their best life, <laughs> how the ship is passing you by, how you are still um, kind of wiping the jelly off the ground, off the floor, while somebody else is traveling the world, getting to do the dream that you've always had. Now, my point in saying that is you get to choose where you're going to set your eyes and where you're going to fix your gaze. Mm -hmm. And for me, there's a reason why I write the hashtag, talk about it a lot, the preaching truth to my own heart, preaching to my own heart. The reason why I say that, why I talk about preach to yourself is because in that season, in those 15 years, and it is, I can say it so quickly and it seems like, oh, 15 years. No, but really, I've been married for 21 years. The first 15 years of my marriage, um, we, we got married right out of college. And the first 15 years, I really wondered, oh my goodness, wasn't I like valedictorian? Wasn't I this amazing, like overachieving, successful person who could have run the distance? And here I, what am I doing? Like I am literally finding matches to socks that don't have like counterparts. Like I literally have a whole bag of sock orphans, you know, like I literally <laughs> spending my days doing these things or taking phone calls of, from, from people who, who have problems that I don't know how to answer and feeling helpless in that. And all I'm saying is in that season, in that 15 years where I didn't think I, I couldn't see right then and there, the fruit of what it was to be obedient and faithful right where I was. That was when I learned to turn my attention and preach to myself who God is and who I am in Christ. Meaning at the end of the day, what you really have as truth about your identity is not going to come with you just looking in the mirror and feeling good about yourself or gaining 1000 or 10,000 more followers. It's, it's going to be ultimately you going back to the word of God and saying, who created me? Mm-hmm. What do I think? What do I believe about what he says about himself? Because once I believe that, I can trust what he says about me. And when I go there, that I preach that to myself, that three times a day, 
year after year, year after year in that quiet hopelessness that you just talked about, that's how you change your gaze. That's how you turn your attention from what you feel to what you know to be true. And let the Lord do the timing game. Like, let him work that out. And um, another thing I always say, and it showed up a lot more in my first book, and it's a hashtag I use a lot, is you don't have to be blooming to be growing. Mm. And I would honestly say that that is maybe the number one lesson that I've had to learn throughout the years is just because I don't see the big blooms that I see in somebody else's garden right now in my own life does not mean that he is not deepening my roots. He's not causing the weeds to be pulled out. He's not pruning me, right? Growth happens all the time, but we don't see blooms all year round. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And even even in the case of pruning, I mean, what's going on there is that, I mean, from a horticultural perspective, you've got a plant whose root structure can't sustain its above ground growth. Yeah. So prune it back, let the roots grow in order to sustain the life that we want to see on the surface. Right. I mean, that's right. probably the story of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. Parents were missionaries. I've loved the Lord all my life. I never had a period of rebellion. I left as soon as I finished high school. I got married like 19 years old. I spent my first 14 years of my career at a church in a Christian ministry in, a, in an administrative capacity, not in a, a yeah. traditional pastoral role, though I'm in pastoral ministry now. But uh, honestly, I was like, I'm ready, coach. Put me in for the last 15 right. years. <laughs> right. And only now do I really, in my quiet moments, sit with the Lord and sit with myself and realize, oh, thank God that the Lord in his gracious wisdom did not put me in a game I was not ready to play. Amen to that. I mean, Jonathan, I, I could not have said that better because I've got, I go to conferences all day long with 27 year old young women coming up to me and going, how did you do what you're doing? How can I, how can I basically fast track to doing that? And I'm regularly saying, you know, I am no overnight success. And like my husband's funny. He always says, yes, you know, it totally looks like she's an overnight success that took like 15 years, you know? And, <laughs> and the reality is I am so grateful that I wasn't given what I've what I'm given now, I'm so grateful I was not given that in my 20s when I was still learning how to keep my eyes on the Lord, how to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, how to even go to the Word, and how to think about my own identity. It was so much, um, so much of my 20s and 30s was spent trying to figure out who I was. We'll get back to the podcast in just a minute. It is shout out time. I want to give thanks to Adam and Andrew, my latest Patreon supporters. Guys, I uh, podcast full time take care of my kids at home. I'm a writer, but most of that's not published yet. Uh, and the blogging doesn't really pay very much. So if anything, that's just me being facetious, doesn't pay a thing, but I love it. I love encouraging you guys, but I do need support. I need your help to keep this going. I'm uh, currently working towards a goal of 300 patrons. I've just hit 39. Thanks to these guys. So please consider supporting me patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle for as little as $3 a month. You can join in and there's all kinds of uh, stuff that you'll gain access to, which uh, I think is really great stuff. So head over to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle to chip in. Now, also, I promised that I would uh, explain the giveaway for Ruth's book, Beholding and Becoming. Really, really simple. If you go to jonathanpuddle.com slash giveaway, the instructions are there. All you need to do is go to iTunes and rate or review this podcast and then enter your email address on that giveaway page so that 
I can put your name in the draw. And I'll be letting everybody know the name next Thursday, September 5th, right here on the podcast. So don't forget to subscribe so that you'll hear who wins that. So what are you going to do? You're going to go to jonathanpuddle.com slash giveaway in order to win yourself a copy of Ruth's book. Let's get back to the podcast. And I even now, like now I laugh at it and I think, oh, that's not quite as big of a journey as we make it out to be like going on a big discovery thing. It was there all along. He's really clear. God's really clear about who I am. I just need to be a little bit better about listening to him first and not going to seek out my feelings about it all, all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I've, I think, I think the feelings thing is fascinating because I think I just ignored my feelings at all. And basically it was like emotions, stuff them sure. away. And and then there's like this whole kind of pushback that's like, no, emotions be like led by your heart. And I'm yes. like, well, actually, that's also really silly. But it's it's really damaging to ignore it and to not pay attention. Sure. And because, right. you know, I've been learning, my feelings are actually trying to tell me something. Sure. I can learn from them. <laughs> but but this is like when you're touch when you're you mentioned like with our phones, okay? If we've got those sixteen thousand tiny moments of quiet helplessness. Those are the exact moments where we have the opportunity to feel discomfort. <laughs> it's actually a mercy. But it's, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a mercy, but it's the last thing we want to feel. Absolutely. And so we'll yeah. numb it with social media or Netflix. Exactly. And I mean, I'm raising my hand over here saying I, I'm not above that. Like the, I've definitely scrolled mindlessly, but I think the reality is, we recognize that the 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 lie of the enemy is ultimately that we will somehow it, the the lie of the enemy is not for us to completely abandon god and go off and say like i'm a total atheist i'm never going to believe that there's a god again no 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 he just gets close to the truth but not quite mm-hmm. so the lie of the enemy is actually to capture our attention even with good things and to cause us to be so obsessed with ourselves and our own kingdoms and our own sense of, if I just try a little harder, I'll get the life I want. And here's the thing. Do we all, are we all called to strive and work hard and run the race? Absolutely. We're not talking about sitting there and just, you know, wishfully hoping that the Lord will just revolutionize our lives while we sit on the couch and eat potato chips. No, of course not. But this idea of striving and hustling and manipulating our circumstance by getting on social media and strategizing more and more and more for the life we want basically negates the whole thought that our life is not ours and it actually belongs to him. Mm-hmm. And so when we settle that first and foremost, that my life is not my own, then you start realizing your moments, those 16,000 moments don't really belong to you. Whole, It's not really yours to just go strategize and figure out. He put it there for a purpose. You're feeling weak. You're feeling a little hopeless. You're wondering if this moment matters. He gave you that. And you get to go back to him with that and say, all right, so your callings are your enablings. And so if you've called me to a moment where I'm questioning and I'm doubtful and I'm scared, um, the answer to that is not to go find my own solution, but to go back and abide in him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a formulaic thing. It's, it's going back to the word and saying, so how did you call me to doing that? And first and foremost, he's called us to relationship with him, not to just reading the formula one more, one time and figuring out what the five steps are, but to actually 
cry out to him as our Abba Father. And that's um, super hard for most of us to learn because most of us want to just have a pretty good set of instructions where we don't have to get super personal about it. We can just nail it. We can just be like, yeah, I can do this. But instead of doing anything, we're asked to actually surrender everything and, and, and be in relationship with Christ. And that's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. And we've been handed a very kind of, I think, in the West, at least, a very cerebral Christianity, right? That's oh, yeah. It's very much just like, right. learn, learn this, say these magic words, and then try not to screw up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uncovering some of the mysticism, which which to me is, again, partly what I see here in, in the, your, what you're saying in terms of art and beauty. I like the way, you know, Brian Zahn has got a whole book, Beauty Will Save the World. And, you know, Henry Nouwen, I mean, yeah, he spent hours alone sitting there meditating on on Rembrandt's painting of the Return of the Prodigal Son. Like hours just struck mm. by yeah. that, by the truth and the beauty of love. Uh so yeah, capturing but, but awe and awe and wonder has always been given to us so that we might have fuel for obedience. Mm. It's the awe and wonder is not the end goal in itself. If we sit there and navel gaze and have these like profound thoughts that ultimately just make us feel more spiritual, that's not the end goal. The goal is ultimately that awe and wonder. When God paints a sunset across the sky, the awe and wonder there is meant to lead us back to his heart. Mm. It's it's meant to cause us to go because you are sovereign and good, because you create beauty, because you're the one who brought me into existence, I you deserve praise. And I will surrender to you because you're God and I'm not. And that's what it should cause us to cause. That's more greater fuel for obedience than any set of rules or any kind of fear or any kind of, um, you know, none of that will ever cause us to want to be more holy. But holiness will be spurred on by a greater view of God. Come on. And so... So, you know, ultimately, that's what all the beauty is about. And let's not, let's not go around and around and end up having any of our listeners think that beauty and awe and being a navel gazer is the end goal. No, it's not. Holiness is the end goal. Praising God, giving glory to Him with our lives, that's the end goal. But the only way that's going to happen isn't you saying, I'm going to, I'm going to be a God glorifying and holy person today. No, it's going to be having a greater capacity, greater awareness and awe for a holy God that um, really <laughs> called the whole world into existence without your help. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the wonder that I, I live in a lot. And I'll just, uh, one more moment of geeking out because, you know, it's funny, Jonathan, I don't get to have these conversations very often. Usually it doesn't go this direction. I'm not sure if it's your background or the fact that you're a guy. And I don't know if I feel like I can get into this a little bit more. So just brace yourself for a little more geekiness. But Alrighty. when you talked about um, why in the West we've gotten so cerebral and stuff. So our family's a little bit rooted in classical education. I won't go too much into that. But here's the thing. In Canada, in the U.S., we, in the West, we basically saw the rise of the Industrial Revolution, right? We saw the whole thing where people went from master apprentice, where one person was a master at something and said, I'm going to train you and mentor you and pass on my love for silversmithing or my love for, you know, um, the sciences, whatever it is, it went from master apprentice passing on love and passing on investment to, we gotta, we gotta produce some workers in our country. More widgets. Yes. We gotta produce workers. We gotta have a turnout of like, we gotta have 
like results, lots and lots of results. And so if I were to nerd out about this, I'd say some of what I'm learning about education is ultimately like, of course, there was a lack of love for learning in time. We saw a couple of decades go by where college, a high school, any of the education, the education journey became about how do you get the best job so that you can get the best pay so that you can retire and do nothing. That's like the goal that we passed on to our kids. We basically said, live your whole life so that you can basically work really hard so that you can have a nice life and not do anything. And yeah, it's we, like, it's like did, okay, it's... so our vision of retirement is a meaningless <laughs> existence and you need to live a meaningless life in order to get there. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it's kind of morbid to say it out loud, but I think that's what we've passed on is like the whole goal is not love learning, love, find, find out who created you and why you're here? What is your purpose on this earth? Fulfill that purpose by studying and coming into a realization of how you fit into this puzzle of life. That's not the message. The message is get into a good school so that employers will notice you so that you can get the raise so that you can retire early. Okay, that's basically the news. So all I'm saying is let's pull that whole mindset and say, isn't it kind of understandable then that as believers, we've also gotten into a really production mindset. Like, a, what's the, what's, what do I get out of this? If I go to church, if I, if I do this Bible study, how will I increase in my productivity? How will I increase in my knowledge? How will I get further? Right? No, no, no. That was never the goal. The goal was always know me, love me. Jesus is like, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not let me tell you five things you need to do and I'll see ya. See you on the other side. No, he's like, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be among you, like to be, for us to be one. And so, um, you know, the, the full master apprentice, the, the, that whole picture is something we've got to return back to. Jesus is our master. We're, we're apprenticing, you know, and it's not just about learning a skill set so that we don't need him anymore and we can now be really productive on our own. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, man. So, how does that then? Uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out with your boys, with your homeschooling, in your family dynamic. You've got six boys. That's amazing. I'm the oldest of three boys. So, mm. my mother is at least half as wonderful as you. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and incidentally, my mother will love this book. She oh, I'm so glad. Is like an alliant Jane Austen loving creative woman, <laughs> and she could probably not be happier than to sit uh, with a mug of tea and read mm-hmm. this book. Uh, anyway, you've got six boys. How does like okay your your art has a very feminine quality to it, which which is wonderful. I'm created in the image of God who's masculine and feminine. So like I'm allowed to appreciate feminine things. How does all of that play out in, in your family with art, with beauty, with, you know, your pursuit of classical education and trying to pursue a non-industrial, like just what you said. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's real life. We do not have classical music playing all at all hours. You know, the boys are not like dancing around the house and like talking about philosophy. Like we're not, we're not, we're not weirdos. I mean, I'm saying we are living real life. We are, we still pay attention to grades. We still deal with all the things that our natural fallen world requires us to deal with the rigmarole of routine and life. And that's why I wrote a book like this. But in our 
family, I would just say as a unexpected, unlikely mom to six boys, one of the things that I think we get to bring, um, my husband is truly very philosophical. And so I think he, he's one of those that really wants to get to the heart of this issue. He's also very conversational. And so, um, so we talk a lot at our house and I think that that maybe is a gift in a, in a, um, in an art form that most families don't realize that is a lost art. I mean, I think we underestimate how much everybody's on their phones at dinner time, how many times even young couples with babies maybe put on Netflix while they're eating dinner because they think, well, the two-year-old can't really talk to us. So let's just watch a show while we're eating dinner in front of the TV. And I, I guess, you know, I think that a life and a whole family culture is shaped one moment at a time. So it's not that you're ruining everything by watching Netflix tonight, but five years of that, and you probably won't know how to have a conversation anymore. Um, five months of that, and maybe you won't know what your spouse is going through because you really haven't taken the time to sit and like look at each other and not your phones. And so I would just say it's a fight at our house. It's not, not fight as in we're fighting with each other. I'm just saying we have to fight for it. Um, the natural, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're just like anyone else where we want to be productive. We want to get clear that inbox while we're eating a bowl of cereal. We want to, um, you know, talk about nothing and watch dumb YouTube videos just because we're all exhausted and we want to numb our brains. So we have to fight for it. We have to stop and say, well, there's six boys in my house. And the more vocal ones will probably get to share what's on their minds more often. But in order for other people in this family to have an opportunity to be heard, you have to pursue them. You have to actually go after it. And you have to create enough space in the home and in your relationship where that conversation can come up. So whether you have kids or not, whether you are married or not, there are people that God's put in your life that... um He's intentionally allowed in your life for your sanctification and for theirs. And so us creating the space for those conversations is an art form that we have to learn in our everyday as well. Mm, that's so beautifully summed up. Thank you. I really value that. I We also have a very conversationalist family, so that, that rings true for me very deeply. Mm-hmm. Do you find uh, an incongruity between your creative art and then just running the business and marketing and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, all of it kind of comes, I mean, I'll be honest, I was never that kind of artist who was like, you know, I don't really care. I just want to sit there and paint all day. I don't think I'm quite like that because it's always been about the message and the content. Like I said earlier, um, I I don't know that I'm an artist in the purest sense. The art has always been a vehicle for me. Art, The art in itself is not the end goal. And so um I think I'm very business minded. I'm very marketing minded. And so that actually comes really naturally that actually running the business is using my giftings. Um, the incongruous part of this whole thing is probably that it is hard to invest in your soul while you're constantly putting things out and producing. I think those two things are really hard because it takes time. Um, pub- the publishing industry is a fast track, fast moving, um, conveyor belt situation, not necessarily because they all have bad intentions or authors have bad intentions, but because the way the marketing cycle happens, it can feel very conveyor belt ish. And so as an artist, a creative and a believer, I know that spiritual work is not conveyor belt work. And so you have to take time for soul work and that may not happen, um, 
on somebody else's time and it may not fit with your social media posting schedule and all those things. And so at the end of the day, um, you have to choose what you're going to prioritize and what you're not going to prioritize and um, to dispel any kind of strange um, or uh, misconceptions out there. I don't do it all. And I, I choose not to do it all in any given season. So there, like currently in this particular season right now, in the last three years, I'm not the primary homeschooler. Troy is. Um, three years ago, I was the primary homeschooler. And currently I, um, I don't run every part of my business. I have a team that helps with that. And I don't have a podcast like you do, even though I would love to look into that, but that's not something that would, it would take away from my productivity in the things that I'm already called to do. So you have to choose. You can't do everything all at the same time. As a family right now, we're not we're not on the soccer field. My kids are not asking to play soccer and we're not there. So I don't spend Saturdays cheering games on, you know, so there are different, you know, and just to throw in there, since your kids are not old enough yet, I've got one that's driving and running to the grocery store for me. I don't do dishes anymore. I don't even do laundry because they really do it all. So I'm just saying there's a new day coming and there's a reason why 15, you know, um, years ago, I was not doing what I'm doing now. And so seasons change. And I think that should be an encouragement to all of us that God's not through with us yet. That's so beautiful. Ruth, I'm planning to give away this copy here. Uh, If you could reach through the screen and sign it for me right now, that would be super wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you hear me. I asked. She did her best. Uh, It's signed with the audio imprint of her words since this book heard this conversation. Uh, friends, you can go to ruthjoesimons.com. Ruth, do you want to spell that for us? Yes, it's R-U-T-H-C-H-O-U-S-I-M-O-N-S. You've also got gracelace.com. She sells uh, prints, cards, planners, devotionals, calendars. Ladies and gentlemen, I used to run a Christian bookstore, mm-hmm. and I can tell you this stuff is hot. This stuff is really, really nice. Uh, and Beholding and Becoming, The Art of Everyday Worship, comes out September 10th, I believe. That is right yes, around the corner. Yes. You can pre-order it. Ruth, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Thanks, Jonathan. Dear Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, you know each person that's listening right now. You know their individual story, their, the places where they're waiting and crying out to you, the places where they have felt loss, the places where they're not really sure how to discern and know the clarity for why you have them in the season that they're in. And so, Father, um, as I'm praying right now, we know that you are capable of reaching each person to the ends of the earth, and you can meet that person right where he or she is at right now. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would comfort, console, and bring great clarity. Father, that each one listening today would first and foremost know that they were created on purpose, for a purpose, by a loving God who is restoring them to the image of Christ through um, through the knowledge of Him and through, um, through the work of Your Son. And so, Lord, I, I pray that You would help us to gaze on You, to be captivated by the beauty of the gospel, that we would be so filled up by the hope we have in Jesus that the nuances of our daily lives that just don't go the way we expect them to and the losses that we experience and the boring moments that are hard to endure, Lord, that those things would fall away and 
as Jonathan pointed out today, would be an opportunities, that they would be truly opportunities for us to turn our gaze back to you, to preach truth to ourselves that you are God, you are in control, and you have not um, wasted any moments of our lives. So we trust you for all the fruit and the results that you promise to um, bring in due time. And we just thank you in, in advance for all that you will do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there you have it. Ruth Jo Simons, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please go and pre-order her book. You can find the purchase link in the show notes and go follow her on Instagram. She's just full of inspirational, encouraging stuff. I'm really glad to have connected with her. And of course, don't forget to enter the giveaway, jonathanpuddle.com slash giveaway. And if you want to support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Friends, you've been listening to the podcast. Every Thursday, I put up a new conversation with somebody where we try and dig beneath the surface and talk about God and life and love. You can learn more about me at jonathanpuddle.com. I've also got a blog there, lots of articles to help you practically grow in your spiritual life. I'm a children's pastor and writer, and I would love to connect with you. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Jonathan Puddle. See you again soon.